All right, so this morning, Romans chapter 14, we're going to actually finish out the chapter uh, this morning. This is our third, week's, third week in Romans 14, and we've been talking about the issue of liberty, Christian liberty. Uh, and we took the first week in Romans 14, and we really tried to distinguish there is a difference between Christian liberty and legalism. Uh, and, and, and legalism in, 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 in the body of Christ has no place, and yet liberty in Christ does have a place. And uh, we're learning how uh, the differences between those two things, according to Romans 14. Last week, we learned that we need to live out our liberty in the context of a local assembly, in the body of Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about leveraging our liberty for the mission, for the very thing that we just prayed for and talked about, for the mission of reaching the gospel, uh, getting the gospel to the nations and making disciples of all nations. We need to leverage our liberty as individual Christians toward that goal, toward that purpose. And so I want you to pick it up in verse 17, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 23. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we got you hooked up. We got it on the screen uh, this morning. Just bring your Bible next week, okay? Uh, But look at verse 17. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith uh, one may edify or build up another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is neither good uh, neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And and, and what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is, remember the context of Romans 14. Paul is addressing brethren that are strong in the faith, that understand that meat is just meat. in, In the context of the culture and the history... In Rome, there would have been possibly people that had offered animal sacrifices to pagan temples and to pagan gods. And then after that sacrifice was made, the the pagan temple would have sold the meat out the back door for more profit, and people would have bought that to eat that. And the issue is that Paul is dealing with is he understands that there are some people that have really strong faith, and they understand that that meat that was offered to an idol is really just meat. And and that idols aren't real, only God is real. But he's also saying, you know what, you have to consider someone who's not strong in the faith. In other words, if they see you eating that meat that's offered to an idol, or maybe they see you in that temple eating that meat, your weaker Christian brother is going to see you, and it's going to cause his conscience to be disturbed or defiled. In other words... If you're mature in the Lord and you have strong faith, you have, to, you have to consider your brother in all things. And that's what we've been learning, and that's what we're talking about. And so, and so when we talk about this thing of eating and drinking, and, and, and listen, if you're here this morning and you haven't been here the last two weeks, that's really the context of Romans 14. Paul is dealing with individual Christian liberty. He's dealing with the gray areas of Christianity where there's just, just not black and white scripture that says, do this and don't do this. 
And Paul is dealing with different levels of spiritual maturity. And the cool thing is in the body of Christ, we're all at different levels of spiritual maturity. We're all at different levels. And if we continue to reach people with the gospel, we will always have an influx of people that are brand new Christians, brand new in the faith, right? We should always have people in our church that are weak in faith because they're new believers in Christ. They just got saved. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and as we continue that ministry of getting the gospel into this city, we're going to continually, as maturing believers, have to consider our choices as it relates to those weaker brethren. Does that make sense? That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Okay, so this morning we want to wrap up the chapter, and we're going to start in verse 17. And here's the first point if you're taking notes this morning. We need to learn to leverage our individual Christian liberty toward the right kingdom, toward the right kingdom. And verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But then it tells us what the kingdom of God is, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And and so God makes a very clear distinction, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not certain things, and, and sometimes it's the things that we as Christians really focus on. It's the physical things in life, right? The meat and drink and what you eat and what you don't eat and what you drink and what you don't drink. And and Paul says, listen, the kingdom of God is actually not those things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. All right, so let's do a little groundwork this morning as we get started. Number, Number one of the first key in your notes is this. The kingdom of God is the emphasis of the New Testament. It is the emphasis of the New Testament. In other words, the, the, the kingdom of God, whatever this thing is, is really the point of the New Testament, okay? And, and so in your, in your notes, and, and we'll get to the blank in a second, I want you to understand that that phrase, the kingdom of God, is mentioned all through the four Gospels, but it's also mentioned all the way through the Pauline epistles. So whatever this kingdom of God is, both in the Gospels and in all of the Pauline epistles, it's mentioned as something that we are to be a part of, okay? And, and so let me give you the, the blank. Your, your, the kingdom of God for us, biblically, is the spiritual portion of God's kingdom, The kingdom of God is the spiritual portion of God's kingdom. You need to understand that God's kingdom has a very literal, physical portion, but God's kingdom also has a very spiritual portion, and the kingdom of God is the spiritual. When God uses that phrase, he's always pointing to the spiritual portion of God's kingdom. Let me prove it to you. Luke 17 Verses 20 and 21 say say this, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, this is Jesus Christ, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with what? With observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. Okay, so, so you need to understand right now in, in Paul's economy and in, in Christ's economy, when the phrase kingdom of God is used, it's not talking about a specific place that you can pull up on Google Maps. You can't drop a, a pin and say, man, here's the kingdom of God right here. Here are the coordinates of that place. No, the kingdom of God is within us. 
It's a spiritual, it's the spiritual part of God's kingdom. Uh, John chapter 4 tells us that God is a spirit, okay? And so the kingdom of God is the spiritual portion of God's kingdom. Now, we don't have time this morning. I'm going to give you this for home study. If you're interested in this, uh, it'll help you. But there is another phrase that gets commonly equated to the kingdom of God in your Bible, and that phrase is called the kingdom of heaven. And, and you see the kingdom of heaven also in the New Testament, but you see it specifically only in one book. You see it in the book of Matthew. And so there's a phrase that, that, is, that is found throughout the scripture called the kingdom of heaven, but it's found only in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is the physical portion of God's kingdom. This is really important to what we're going to talk about this morning because God has a physical portion of his kingdom. God has a spiritual portion of his kingdom. You had better be focused, you're focusing your life on the right portion of his kingdom that applies to you. Is it the physical portion or is it the spiritual portion? And so the kingdom of heaven in the Bible is the physical portion of God's kingdom. Look at Matthew 11 and verse 12. Is that on the screen? Yes. Look at verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth what? Violence. And the violent take it by what? And I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but there are some people that are trying to use force in a certain part of this world against the nation of Israel and against Jerusalem trying to take a physical land from a people that God has specifically promised that land to. What's happening in the news today is not a kingdom of God battle. What's happening with rockets and buildings and damage and physical death and suffering and violence, what's happening is the kingdom of heaven. That, that's happening right now in the nation of Israel. And listen, we, we could talk about whether that's right or wrong, and, and let me just tell you, you want to side, side with God on that, what God said uh, concerning that people group and that land, you want to side with God on that. Because history teaches us that God's going to take care of his people. Even when they're backslidden against God and when they're in rebellion against God, God has promised a remnant through the nation of Israel, and it doesn't matter what the president of this country or any other country determines, God has already determined it. And you would do well to side with God. But that's the physical part of God's kingdom. And, and as bad as that is, and we need to pray for the nation of Israel and for the peace of Jerusalem, we as Christians are called to be a part of this kingdom of God, the spiritual portion of the kingdom. You see, the problem is if we get the wrong kingdom in Christianity, we get the wrong focus with our life. We become kingdom, kingdom builders and we focus on the physical things in this life, what to eat or not to eat, what to drink or not to drink. We, we focus on ending hunger in the world. We focus on ending poverty and providing water. Uh, you know, we, we raise money and help our missionaries put wells in, in Zambia, Africa. But can I just tell you that if we punch a well in the earth and we don't preach the gospel, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help anybody. We, we can build schools, we can build hospitals, we can give medicine to the sick. All those things are good things. I'm not against any of those things. But my point is, without the gospel, there will be zero impact spiritually in the lives of those people and for all of eternity. 
We can give the best health care, the best education, the best medicine. We can provide the best food and the cleanest water. And listen, without Christ, it will not matter. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about leveraging our liberty, we need to make sure that we're leveraging it toward the right kingdom. And it needs to be the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, when Christ uh, resurrected from the dead, the Bible tells us that he spent 40 days with his disciples. And, And the conversation and the teaching that Christ delivered to his disciples, those 40 days after his resurrection were very specific. It says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of what? Of God. And I just want you to know that Christ's intention for those disciples was not to become physical kingdom builders. As a matter of fact, later in that chapter, they even ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the the literal physical kingdom to Israel right now? And, And Jesus says, I just taught you for 40 days. You're not asking good questions. You're not asking good questions. Right now, you need to be focused on the spiritual kingdom, and I'll deal with the physical kingdom when the time is right. And so, and so let's look at these three things really quick. It's in your notes. Number one, the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's righteousness. And so we as believers in Christ, listen, by the grace of God, we've been made righteous in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says this, He hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us. You do know that Christ had no sin, right? You, you understand that. He couldn't be God if he had sin. You and I were the ones with the sin. And God made Christ sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's righteous. We aren't. But in Christ, we have the imputed, the applied, the, 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 the imputed righteousness of Christ applied to our life. And so because we are righteous in Christ, we need to live righteously. That's that's what the kingdom of God really means. It means living righteous because you're already righteous in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34. Look at this. It says, awake to righteousness. And I know it's 1130 and I know you're already napping. But listen, I'm telling you right now, God says you need to awake to righteousness and sin not. So the kingdom of God is righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It's walking in the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. You're righteous because he's righteous. So live like it. So walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And let me just say this. Listen, an unrighteous living Christian is a walking contradiction. Because if you are righteous in Christ, but you live unrighteously, that's not good math. It doesn't add up. If you're living like the devil, but you actually are born again believer in Christ and you have Christ's righteousness imputed into your life, an unrighteous living Christian is a contradiction. You're you're not really living your, your purpose and intended life in Christ. God's given you his righteousness. So awake to righteousness and sin not. Ephesians 5 and verse 9 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And what's interesting is each one of those three things that we're going to talk about, righteousness, joy, peace, 
We're going to see that all three of those connect back to the person of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we see joy. So just as, just as an unrighteous Christian is a walking contradiction, can I just tell you, a Christian without joy is a walking contradiction. And some of you need to buckle up right now. Because listen, the Spirit of God causes joy in our life despite our circumstances. Let me show it to you. Acts chapter 13, verses 50 to 52. The Bible says that the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And so Paul and Barnabas are just trying to preach the gospel. They're trying to make disciples, and, and they faced significant persecution, so much so that they got run out of the city. Verse 51, but they shook the dust of their, off their feet against them, and they came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, if you're walking in the Spirit of God, there's going to be a spiritual, supernatural, godly-induced joy in your life that's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not dependent on how your job is going, how your health is going, how your finances are going. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ and the, and the indwelling Holy Spirit that's active in your life. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, it's joy, it's peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And it goes on in verse 23. The point is, again, joy comes from the Holy Ghost. You can't fake it, but you can't fake it. So in other words, if you're not walking in the Spirit, man, well, you can't fabricate it in your flesh. You can't fabricate it in your flesh. And man, the, the, the sad reality is you can't fake it in your flesh. And there's just some people, man, that profess to know Christ, that are, that are made the righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that live unrighteously because they have a free will. But there's also Christians that refuse to walk in the Spirit of God, and there is no joy in their life. There's just absolutely no joy in their life, and it's not because it's not available. It's because they're not walking in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much affliction. And listen, when time gets tough, the, the one thing the enemy wants to steal from your life is your joy. But listen, he'd have to steal the Holy Spirit of God from you to do that. And so this, these Thessalonians, they received the word of God in affliction, but they received it with the joy of the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, Nehemiah chapter 8, I don't have it on the screen, but just listen, Nehemiah chapter 8, when, when Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and reinstituting worship and, and, you know, the city was broken down and destroyed, Nehemiah says to the people, he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that explains why we have so many weak Christians today. we got a lot of weak Christians because they're not walking in the Spirit of God and they don't have the joy of the Lord in their life. And, and listen, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's righteousness. It's joy. Lastly, it's peace. And can I just say this? Listen, a, a Christian that lives unrighteously is a walking contradiction. A Christian that walks without joy is a contradiction. And a Christian that has no peace is a walking contradiction. 
It's a walking, they're a walking contradiction because peace is a result of the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and what? And peace. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, there it is, peace. And so these things, these three things, isn't it, you know, as Christians, we would, rather, we would rather somebody give us a list. Don't eat these things and, and, and don't drink these things and man, you're going to get an A plus as a Christian, right? That's, that's kind of how we would like it. Just give me the list. My wife especially is amening over there because she's a list lady. She likes lists. Any other list ladies in the room? There's no guys that like lists, I don't think. I already know who of you are list people, by the way, just so you know. Here, let's play a game. You keep your hands down and let me, let me go around the room. Oh, man, it's getting hot in here. Okay. Uh, so Listen. You know, that, that's the way we would like our Christianity. Hey, don't eat this, you're a good Christian. Do eat this, you're a good Christian, right? But the kingdom of God is not those things. It's righteousness and joy and peace in the person of the Holy Ghost. And that's Paul's point. And so in your notes, look, get this key down. Righteousness, joy, and peace are a result of a spirit-led life. They're the result of a spirit-led life. You can't fake it, man. You can't fake it in your flesh. Righteousness, joy, and peace are a result of a person. It's the result of the Spirit of God. And so we need to learn to leverage our liberty toward the right kingdom. We need to leverage our liberty not so that we can make choices to make us more unrighteous or to make us have less joy or to make us less at peace with God and with other people. No, we need to leverage our liberty for more righteousness and for more joy and for more peace. Okay, Uh, that's the introduction. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. So we've got to move fast. Number two, we need to leverage our liberty for service. We need to learn to leverage our liberty for service. Look at verse 18. It's on the screen. The Bible says, Paul says, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Okay, now, now he just told you some things in, in verse 17. Righteousness, joy, and peace. Then Paul says, listen, if you serve Christ in these things, it makes you acceptable to God and approved of men. Okay, so, so the first obvious question as we get to this verse is, number one, do you serve Christ? Do you serve Christ? Do you have a life that, that is manifested by being a servant of Christ? And, and not everybody can answer that honestly. Let me just tell you, even religious people that do religious things don't necessarily serve Christ. Can I prove it to you? Romans 16. Look at verses 17 and 18. So, so Paul says, and we'll get to Romans 16 in six months, okay, when we finish, you know, <laughs> Romans 14 and 15, as slow as we go. But, but look at verse 17. Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now, these are people that are teaching doctrine, but they're causing division, okay? And Paul says you need to mark them because they are they that, they, they are they that are, for they that are such, there it is, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own 
So here are people that teach and preach, but Paul says, listen, just because they're teaching and preaching, it doesn't really mean they're, they're serving Christ. Because the issue is the doctrine. They're teaching false doctrine. He says, listen, they're not serving Christ, but they're serving their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the, of the who? The simple. And can I just tell you, in pulpits all across this country and all across this world, right now, there are people that are standing and doing something similar to what I'm doing, but I'm telling you, there are some people that aren't doing it to serve Christ. They're doing it to serve their own belly, to get a paycheck because it's a job or to sell a book, <laughs> or by good words and fair speeches to deceive people into not believing the truth of God's Word. Just because you do religious things, it doesn't make you a servant of Christ. The second question is this, do I serve Christ in these things? So number one, we have to establish, are we a servant of Christ? But number two, we need to, we need to establish how we're serving Christ. And Paul says, listen, you need to learn to serve Christ in righteousness and joy and peace. That's how you serve Christ. You see, there are a lot of Christians that serve Christ, but they're doing it in the wrong things. They're trying to serve Christ in a physical context. Don't eat this. Do eat this. Don't drink this. Do drink this. Do you understand? Have the Christian haircut, whatever that is. Let your beard be a certain length, you know, or, or not have a beard. Um, you know, there, there's room for liberty in those things because those things don't really matter in the kingdom of God context, okay? And, and, and so the, the truth is, if we love Christ and we love our brothers, we're going to serve Christ in the right things, righteousness and joy and peace. And, and, and so if you have a genuine love for God and you have a genuine servant's heart, you're going to love other people. You're going to care about other people. You see, you're going, to view ministry, you're going to view ministry as a privilege instead of a hassle. If you serve Christ in righteousness and joy and peace, then all of a sudden, man, when there's an opportunity for you to serve Christ and serve other people, it's a joy for you to serve. And you'll have a peace in your heart as you serve, and you can serve in righteousness. But if you think people are the problem, you're missing the point of ministry. You see, some people focus more on meat and drink and clothing and length of hair and all the legalistic standards. They focus more on that than people. And people are the point of ministry. People are the point of ministry. And so listen, if you don't have righteousness and joy and peace in your life, can I just say it shows? It shows. Because you're, you're concerned with the wrong things. God says when we serve Christ in these things, we're acceptable to God. What that also means is if we don't serve Christ in these things, we will be unacceptable. It doesn't mean that we'll lose our, our salvation. But it means that when we stand and give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be some things that there's going to be lost rewards that we miss out on. 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's on the screen. Look at verses 8 to 9. So Paul says, look, uh, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, now listen, the next sentence tells you that he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, you're eternally secure in Christ. 
You're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. The issue is not being accepted into heaven. The issue is being accepted based on your service. And if you serve in the wrong way and toward the wrong things, I'm telling you, we'll miss out at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is not a judgment of your sin. We talked about this last week. It's a judgment of our service. It's a judgment of reward. And listen, there's an opportunity to be accepted, acceptable to God. To live your life so that on that day, the Lord looks at your life and says, you lived in a way that's acceptable. Because your life was focused on the kingdom of God. And it was focused on righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. But, but there will be some Christians that stand there on that day and the Lord will say, that's not acceptable. Doesn't mean you don't go to heaven. Doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Doesn't mean you'll lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Does mean that you'll lose opportunity to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. You see, our position in Christ, we are accepted positionally because of the blood of Christ. But practically speaking, you're acceptable because of your service to Christ and how you serve Christ. Okay, so, so it just makes sense then that we need to serve Christ in those things. God says when you do that, you'll be acceptable to God. Number two, he says you'll be approved of men. And some of you in the room or maybe watching online would say, well, I don't really care what other people think about me. This is my walk with God. I'll live it however I want to live it. Well, that's a really dumb statement. You heard it here first. Uh, you too can be a preacher. <clears throat> the reason that's a dumb statement is, number one, you're going to have a really hard time reaching other people with the gospel or discipling other people when you don't care what men think. Because if people are the point of the mission you kind of need to consider what they think. You need to be approved of men. Now listen, we, we preach the gospel whether it's popular or not. You don't have to agree with the gospel. But as it relates to our, our, our practice and our service, we need to live in a way that's appealing to men. Listen, if your life is no different than the lost world, what's the appeal to a lost man? What's the appeal? And by the way, what's the appeal to your brother in Christ that sees you living like a lost man? There is no appeal. You're a walking contradiction. Why would you do that? And so Paul says, listen, we, we care enough about the ministry and we care enough about people to live in a way that, listen, if they're going to speak evil, they got no basis to speak evil, right? 2 Corinthians 6, and, and we don't have all the verses on the screen, but let me just give you the first couple of verses. Paul says this about himself and his ministry team. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. And then he goes through a whole long list of things that approve you as a minister of God. In patience, in affliction, necessities, distress, stripes. There's a whole laundry list of things. We don't have time for that. You didn't pack a lunch. But I'm telling you, it's important that we, we serve in a way that the ministry is not blamed so that we can have favor with people. And so here's, here's the way you would ask that to apply it to, to your life and my life individually. Here's the question. What would men say about the ministry 
based on the way you live out your liberty? What would men say about the ministry based on the way you live out your liberty? In other words, would, 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 would they find it offensive? Like the way you talk, the way you live your life, the way that you live in unrighteousness instead of righteousness? Would that be offensive? And would people blame the ministry? Would people see a lack of joy in your life because you don't have a genuine walk in the Spirit of God and say, you know what, bro, everything you're saying sounds good, but there's, there's really no joy coming off of you? And whatever you got, I really don't want it. You know what I'm saying? Keep that to yourself because I don't want it. A Christian that doesn't walk in peace, where every circumstance causes them to come unraveled, listen, you have peace because you have Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world, and it doesn't matter what happens in your life, and it doesn't matter, and respectfully, it doesn't matter what happens with your health, because at the end of the day, you can have peace. Because I know who I belong to. I know that he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. I know my eternity is secure in Christ. And man, I can lay my head down at night and have peace. And if I never take another breath, I can have peace. I can have a peace that passes all understanding because of Christ. And so as we serve, we need to use our liberty to serve in a way that, number one, is acceptable to God, and number two, is approved of men. All right, number three, quickly. Number three, we need to leverage our liberty to build other people up. This is just ministry training. That's what we're getting this morning, is just ministry training. How to, how to live our liberty in a way that, that pleases God and helps other people. Look at verse 19. We need to leverage our liberty to build other people up. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things uh, wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All, all things indeed are pure. But it's evil for that man who eateth with offense. It's neither good to eat flesh or to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. And again, we, we understand the context is, is a Christian's life in, in direct relation to another Christian's life here. Paul does, again, just remind us that everything is, in, is pure in the sense that, listen, meat or drink doesn't make you more or less spiritual. Uh, first, first Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, I don't think I have it on the screen, but just listen. Paul says, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, because it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so all things are pure, but if a person that doesn't have strong faith eats something that violates his conscience to that person, he becomes defiled, and that food becomes defiled, or you as his brother uh, become defiled in his eyes, Okay. And so, and so the point is, as a Christian and as a mature Christian, you have to leverage your liberty to build other people up, to edify other people. And so here's the question, does my liberty make for peace, and, 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 and the context is amongst the body of believers, does my liberty make for peace or does my liberty make for conflict within the body of Christ? That's a really good question. Is what I'm about to exercise liberty toward going to cause more peace in the body of Christ, or is it going to cause more conflict? In other words, another way of asking that is, is my liberty making me the center of attention instead of my, my brother in Christ? And we all struggle with that, man, because, you know, we got a me monster. <laughs> you got a me monster. I got a me monster. And that's the thing that we, we, we want to please and satisfy the most. And,
And as a believer, you're not afforded the privilege to live to yourself. You're not afforded that privilege. God never, God never promised you that. And, and to take that as a stance and say, I'm going to live my life between me and the Lord and, and put a barrier and a boundary to every other Christian in the world, and even this local assembly, to put a barrier between your life and your brother's life, that's unbiblical. God didn't give you that permission. As a matter of fact, you're violating that principle. And so, and so listen, when, when we read the verses that talk about how a mature brother's liberty can, can affect a weaker brother, listen to the wording, man. It, it, it's strong wording. Romans 14 and verse 15 says this, If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. You're grieving people, man, with your liberty. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Grieving him. Destroying him. That sounds like conflict. It doesn't sound like peace. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verses 11 and 12. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience and you sin against Christ. I mean, those words, grieved, destroyed, perish, sin, that doesn't sound like peace. It sounds like conflict. It sounds like conflict. And so, and so is my liberty building other people up? Is it, is it bringing about peace in the body of Christ? Or am I the center of conflict and attention? In other words, every time I exercise my liberty, does it have a detrimental effect on other believers in Christ? And you already know. If it does or doesn't, you know that. Usually the pastor is the last to know, by the way. So usually it runs through the church and everybody knows, and then the pastor finds out that there's a problem, you know, because all I do is sit in my office and wait for problems. You know, because pastors only work like half a day a week, so as soon as I clock out at like 1230, man, I'm done for the rest of the week. You know, I got nothing to do. Wait for problems. Conflict within the body. You already know, man. You already know that the choices you make affect your brother and sister in Christ. And when it starts affecting them, you know if it's bringing about more peace or bringing about more conflict. And then once it runs its circle and course for about two weeks, then it lands on my, my desk and we have to deal with it. Why don't you just deal with it on the front end? Why don't you just use your liberty to build people up instead of tearing people down? Why don't you use your liberty to bring about peace in the body of Christ instead of conflict? Here's the next question. Does my liberty build up or tear down other people? Does it build up or tear down other people? And God uses the word edify, right? Edify is, is literally to, to empower, to build up, to strengthen, Okay. Galatians 5 tells us, he says, listen, brethren, you've been called to liberty. I mean, you've got liberty in Christ. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So your liberty is not for you. <laughs> it's for the body of Christ. In other words, man, just because you can and you have faith and, and, and whatever the thing is, the meat, the drink, whatever the gray area is, it doesn't mean that just because you can, you should. Because at the end of the day, you're called to serve one another. 
Using my liberty to fulfill my fleshly desires will always tear down my brother. It always will. Take it to the bank. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, All things are lawful for me. In other words, hey man, ain't nothing unclean of itself. I got enough faith. I got enough faith that if they butcher that cow and they're offering it to Baal himself, I'm going to take a ribeye and go cook it and eat it and enjoy it. Because it's nothing but meat. Paul had that kind of faith. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things, listen to this, all things edify not. In other words, not everything that I have liberty to do will build up other people. Not everything that I have liberty to do will build up other people. But listen, righteousness will build up other people. Joy will build up other people. And peace will build up other people. So if I'll just walk in the Spirit and let those things be the point of my service, well, the whole body benefits. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 19. And I know I'm hammering you with a lot of verses today, but man, this is important. Again, think, and I love this one, man. This, this is like, this is really good. Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dear little beloved, for your edifying. Wow. You mean Paul and his ministry team didn't serve themselves? You mean they lived in a way and served Christ in a way that really other people's edification was the point? Can you agree with Paul on that statement? In other words, do you do what you do for the edifying of other people? And let me also ask the, the, the statement, do you not do what you don't do to edify other people? See, that's the question. Is our liberty building other people up? And again, man, we... we, we we got a great church. We have an awesome church. We train leaders. We have people at varying levels of leadership. And let me just speak to you in the varying levels of leadership. If you have any position of leadership in this church, in other words, you're a discipler, you're a teacher, you're on the worship team, you're a small group leader, whatever. Listen, your responsibility is to build people up. That's your responsibility as a minister. It's to build people up. It's to edify people. It's to not use your liberty to cause other people to have conflict or to tear them down. And so if you can't do that, well, you don't need to be a leader. You don't need to be a leader. Or you can just repent and live the way that Christ has called us to live in righteousness and joy and peace. Okay, and then the last point, we're done. We need to learn to leverage our liberty based on faith. And this one is really, really important. We need to learn to leverage our, our liberty based on faith. Verse 22, so, so Paul closes the chapter and he says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. And you would read that verse and say, See there, I told you, man, it's between me and the Lord. Get off me. Get out of my business, Jay. Right? Well, the, the verse goes on, just so you know, after that period. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Okay, so, so verse 22 is certainly in the Bible. Listen, if you have faith, if you have strong faith, it's between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. 
Amen, amen. Because you have an individual walk with God, for sure. However, God says you got to be careful how you exercise that faith because there's a potential to bring condemnation on yourself. Hmm. That's the rest of the verse. Okay, so, so here's the key, and get it in your notes. If you're strong in faith, you have to, you have to be careful when you use your, your, your liberty because using your faith to cause a brother to sin brings condemnation on you, on yourself. In other words, the manner in which you exercise your faith can bring condemnation on yourself. Uh, you don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And man, you were full of faith and you live like an idiot. That's in the, in the Greek, if you, if you study that. You don't, want to, you don't want to stand the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord say, man, you believed every word, you believed every word, man, you trusted me, you got faith, you got enough faith that you can move mountains, okay? But then you did and people died. <laughs> you know, don't be that bozo, man, at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're strong in faith, be warned that the way you exercise your faith can bring condemnation to yourself. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. It means that you, you may not fare so well at the judgment seat of Christ. But then we also have to consider the person that's weak in faith, right? Because that's the elephant in the room. That's the elephant in the passage. What about this guy that just needs to grow up? Yeah, he kind of needs to grow up. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. In other words, man, if there's somebody that's weak in faith, and he sees this mature Christian eating meat offered to idols, and then he just takes a bite or he gets a, he gets a plate and he starts eating it, he's doubting in his heart because he's not strong in the faith. And what he's done is he's, he's damned himself, not to, to hell, but he's condemned himself because he doesn't have strong faith. And so here's the key principle. Listen, growing in your faith is the only way to mature as a Christian. Growing in your faith is the only way to mature. And listen, the only way that you grow in your faith is through the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if you want to grow in faith, guess what you have to have? You have to have the Word of God. And you have to have time in the Word of God. You have to hear the Word of God. And so let me ask you the question. Do you have a daily time in God's Word? If the answer to that is no, you're not growing in your faith. If the answer to that is no, you're not growing in your faith. If the answer to that is yes, but you're, you're, you're spending time in God's Word, but you're really not hearing it, well, you're not growing in your faith either. Well, I got all my blanks filled in this morning, Jay. We'll pass out the golden stars when we get done. I'll get my Sharpie and put the smiley face on your thing, just like in school, man. I was always excited as a student, by the way. You know, you get your, your, your sheet back from the teacher if there's like a smiley face or a little note on there, you know, it's just like, psh. Does that not work for you guys? The positive reinforcement? I mean, most of you probably made Fs. I don't know. Maybe. Do you have the frowny face on your, on your paper? I'm sorry. Did that hit close? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but you can have all your blanks and not be hearing it. Right? That's the, that's the struggle. That's the danger. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and, and so listen, if you want to grow in your faith, 
The burden of responsibility is on the strong in the faith, but the burden to grow is on the weak in the faith. You've got to grow up. If you stay a baby for 50 years in your Christian walk, and, and all you look at in Christianity is the meat and the drink, and you never learn to rightly measure righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, you've missed it. You've missed it. You need to grow. And, and the way you grow is through the Word of God. And so, in, in your notes, close it down right here. The Bible uh, will teach us from that last verse that if you can't do it in faith, well, it's sin. Whatever you're going to exercise your liberty in, and, and, and again, we're talking about gray areas. You can't violate clear Scripture. But if you can't do it in faith, the truth is it's sin. You shouldn't do it because it's not a faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And, and by the way, if you can't not do it in faith... Well, that's a sin too. And that's talking about those that are weak in the faith. Well, the reason I don't do this is because if the answer is anything but the Bible, <laughs> it's probably the wrong answer. Does that make sense? You guys good this morning? Does this help us? And so listen, God saved us. God left us here. God left us here to draw the lost to Christ. And God left us here to live to the higher standard, not only so that people can see Christ in us, they can see Christ's righteousness and joy and peace in us, not only for the lost, but God called us to live that way for the saints. God called us to live that way to build up the body of believers so that we can all become more like Christ, so that we can all be about the mission. You cool with that? So let's do that. Amen? Let's just do that. Let's leverage our liberty for the ministry's sake. Let's pray. i got a few announcements, and then we'll dismiss. All right?